Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Good morning. How we doing? You guys sounded great this morning. I appreciate your worship, and uh, we're just thankful that you participate uh, when we sing together, I think I said it earlier, but man, I just believe God's waiting on your voice and you go, well, I don't, I don't sing very good. That's okay. Nobody's going to know. So just sing loud. It's going to be awesome. But we're thankful for you and just uh, what you're doing here and uh, just your participation. You make us better just by coming and being a part of these gatherings because you encourage people around you. And it's just a great season here at our church. Thanks to those of you who uh, you, you come on a regular basis and those that are serving and just giving of their time, giving financially. Uh, and some of you have kind of made the move, maybe you couldn't today, but you've made the move to one of, our, one of our other services, 8.30 or 11.30 on a regular basis. You just happen to be here at 10 today. Thanks for that, uh, because we, we, we always kind of have space issues at 10 o'clock usually, and so we've got some space in those other ones. So you can be a missionary to one of those other services and help us to create space for folks. But what we're trying to do to alleviate that problem, at least in the short term, because I'm, I'm sure it will fill back up, is that we are in a construction season. Uh, we are taking over uh, the 12,000 square feet directly underneath us that was previously occupied by Sears. So we've been talking about that. We made the announcement last week that we are in construction finally. Praise God for that. And so we're excited about that and just excited about what God's doing here. And, and so I'm thankful that in a construction season, there's so many of us that are a part of it. And I told you last week that I'd give you an update on even just the finances related to this project. And so uh, we came to you back in September. We asked you to make a 24-month pledge commitment to be a part of this financially, and so many of you did. Uh, we had over 50 families that pledged to be a part of this in some way, and, uh, and we're inviting you, if you haven't already made a pledge, now that construction has started, and you go, you know what, I wasn't even here in September, I'm, I'm relatively new, but I already know this is the place for us, or maybe I wasn't sure then, but now that it's started up, I want to be a part of this, I'm excited to be a part of this, we invite you to make a pledge. There are these blue cards, I don't know if that's blue, I call it blue, but these cards that are in the seat or the seat back in front of you that says, because generations matter, this is our capacity campaign, we're creating more space, more capacity to serve more people, we invite you to make that pledge. And yes, the I'll go ahead and answer the question that some of you may be asking, can I just give? Absolutely, you could just give to the building fund, designate that, but when you pledge, you help us to budget for this project and to know and to anticipate the funds that are, are you're planning to give to come in for this project it just helps us to be better stewards of the resources that God is entrusting to us for this project. Uh, and so I would encourage if you haven't made a pledge, make a pledge. There is no gift or pledge too small or too great. I promise you, all of us together are just sacrificially, prayerfully asking God to use us to fund this project. And what we have done as a church, we have made a commitment over the life of our church, going all the way back to when we were a campus of another church, that we will not have long-term debt. And so for us, that's a guiding principle for us. It's one of the guardrails by which we, the leadership of our church, our staff, our trustees, we make decisions for us. If we have to take on long-term debt, then it's just not an opportunity we consider. And so we have created some or, or sought out and, and been approved for some short-term financing to fund this project as our pledges come in. But what we want to say to you is we want you to continue to give and give faithfully and give as, as faithfully, as quickly as you're able to do so because it just allows us to save interest. We're not wanting to pay interest to other people. We just want to invest that money back into ministry as quickly as we can. And so we've acquired this short-term financing. God's been faithful to us in that. And so just be a part of this financially as you can. We just are thankful for you, your commitment to give, and so I'm thankful for that. And I just want you to know, we'll give you updates along the way. Here's what I believe with all of my heart. 
I believe that the first Sunday we're in the new space, that the first hand that's raised for salvation, the first time we come into this space and we see the kids that are in this new environment dedicated to them on Sundays or on Wednesday nights for our students to be dedicated in this dedicated space for them on Wednesday nights, like it's going to be all worth it. Whatever you have given, whatever we have given, whatever we've pledged, it's going to be worth it because what, what God has done. So I'm excited about that. I'll continue to give you updates and maybe every now and then when you drive by, just poke your head in and kind of look and see what's happening because uh, it's super, super exciting. I'm also thankful that beginning next week, we start a brand new series called Love You More. It's a really relationship series. We want you to invite your friends and family. And I'll go back to wearing other clothes that don't say Generations Church, um, because to start the year, I've kind of been in all the different swag that we have. And so I don't normally preach in sweatshirts and t-shirts and stuff, but I've been doing that. So we invite you, grab some stuff, uh, pay for it. Don't just grab it. That's stealing. You'll go to hell for that. Um, but uh, you know, we want you to do that so that you can wear it out in the community, help us spread the word about what God's doing here at our church. I ran into like three people in public this week wearing the red hooded sweatshirt. And I was like, hey, look at that. We're just, you know, we made that really awkward interaction there in public. It was great. <laughs> we were excited about that. And uh, so we want you to be a part of that. So uh, next week, we'll start that relationship series. We want you to bring some friends and family. It's going to be a great three weeks uh, talking about Love You More. So today, we are concluding the series that we've been in over the last few weeks called Live Like It Matters. And what we said a few weeks ago is that we believe your life matters. And that, that truth, that reality should help all of us to live in a really intentional way. We talked the first week about how you could really know God. You can know him personally, intimately. You could pray and talk to him and really hear from him. The second week, we talked about the, the idea of finding community. And we launched our G group registration that day. And we told you we want you to get into community. You heard Pastor Matt talking about that over the last few minutes. And then last week, we talked about discovering purpose, that we believe you were created on purpose for a purpose. We, we quoted Mark Twain that said the two best days in the life of any person is the day they were born and the day they figure out why. And we just believe that that lines up with Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, that says it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. And we want you to, to discover that purpose. And then ultimately, what we're talking about today is taking that discovered purpose and putting it into action to make a difference. Here's what I believe, what I, I truly believe as I read through Scripture and I've experienced life with God now for a number of years. I, I believe God is writing my story. I also believe that God is writing your story. And sometimes what happens is I get so focused on what God is doing in my story that I can forget your story. I hate to admit that. I think we're all guilty of that in some ways. I, I'm challenging uh, my, my teenagers that are in my house to not be so self-absorbed, self-consumed that they kind of forget about everybody else that's living in our house. Uh, we were in student ministry, Corey and I were, for a little over 10 years. And in that season of ministry, as we were doing ministry for middle high school and college students... Um, we were doing a lot of research and things just to try to be better equipped to serve them. And we ran across this incredible theory that sociologists and psychologists have called center stage theory. And uh, it's the idea that mostly middle schoolers, but now even with extended adolescents, high schoolers, even college students, young adults. And if we're being honest, some of us that are older than that, uh, we have this center stage theory where we are convinced that we stand at the center stage of all the earth and everyone's attention is pointed at us, that the whole world revolves around us. That's why, and I use this example a lot, that's why when you were in middle school with a hall pass while everyone else was in class, you tripped and fell in the hallway, you were convinced the whole school knew, right? No one saw you, and yet you were convinced all eyes were on you. Well, in life, if we're not careful, we live our lives in such a way that we believe everybody's looking at us, paying attention to us, and what I tell my kids, what we used to tell students, and what I have to remind myself of sometimes is ain't nobody paying that much attention to you. Because they're thinking about their story and their life and their circumstances and their good times and their bad times. 
And so what do we as Christ followers, if that identifies with you today, if you are a Christ, what do we do to really try to live like it matters in a way that allows our story to intersect with someone else's story? Well, we take our God-given purpose and we allow it to make a difference in the lives of other people. To really help us understand this a little better, I want to tell you a story from the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's a story that many of you may be familiar with. Even if you're not familiar with all the details of the story, you're probably familiar with some of the characters. This is the story that's found in the entirety of the book of Esther because it is the story of Queen Esther. The story begins with the king of that day, King Xerxes, and the story of, of he and his queen, Queen Vashti. Now, Vashti was a beautiful queen. She was a queen that was the prized possession of her king in that culture. And one day, King Xerxes was having a party with all of his servants and all the people throughout the land, and he wanted to show off his woman. And so he sends word to Queen Vashti that he would like for her to come to the palace so that he could flaunt her to all of his friends and all the people of the kingdom to see just how great the queen was, which in reflection would also show how great the king was. Well, I'm not sure if that night Queen Vashti wasn't feeling well, if she had already turned on her favorite television show, if she already had her PJs on, but she sent word back to King Xerxes, I'm not coming. Well, King Xerxes did not take kindly to that. But even worse than King Xerxes was his servants who said, hey, king, um, you got to get control of this woman because not only is this a, a, an offense that could have her killed, like you could actually kill her. Beyond that, like what are the other wives in the kingdom going to do when they hear that now they can tell her, their husbands no whenever they want and they've got to listen to them? Like, king, you got to help us get control of our women in this kingdom. You understand what I'm saying let me just pause the story for a second and say, husbands, be very careful in the next 30 seconds with how you respond. <laughs> like, don't amen me right there. Just be like, I can't believe that's in the Bible. How dare God? Like, I just whatever you say, just be very, very careful right there. And so King Xerxes decides, okay, so what I'll do is, you know, I mean, I could have her killed. I, she's definitely not going to be the queen. I'm, I'm going to get me a new queen. And so they go throughout all of the kingdom after removing Queen Vashti. They go throughout the kingdom to find a new queen. And so they, they look for the most beautiful young women in all the land and those that would make a good queen. And so they bring all of these women to the palace. And one of those young women was Esther. Esther was a Jew. She was the adopted daughter of her cousin, a man by the name of Mordecai, after her father had passed away, as it was the Jewish custom, the next of kin, the male next of kin would have adopted her, brought her into his household to care and provide for her after her own father had been killed. So Mordecai, this Jew who had a little standing in the community, even though he was of Jewish descent, they bring Esther to the palace, and every single day, Mordecai would walk by just to see how is Esther doing. Well, pretty quickly as she's brought into the palace, the man that's in charge, he discovers that there's something special about Esther. She's beautiful. There's something special about her. And so she, he gives to her the finest perfumes and the finest oils for the season of preparation before she would be presented to the king to see if she would be the one who the king's heart beats for and would be named the queen. And sure enough, 12 months into that season of preparation, she is presented to the king. His heart and it sure does turn towards Esther, and he decides this will be the queen. So Queen Esther is named. Well, there's another man in the kingdom. His, his name is Haman. Haman's the guy that wants power. He is convinced that proximity is equal to power, so he's trying to get as close as he can to King Xerxes. 
And he has some power. He has some status. He has some authority in the kingdom. And so uh, he has decided one day that what he's going to do is he wants people to recognize just how awesome he is. And so he's going to issue a decree on behalf of the king that those in and around the palace, those in the city where he lives, whenever they see him coming, they should bow down and honor the authority and power that he possesses because of how close he is to the king and everyone around They bow every time that Haman comes by, except with a guy named Mordecai. This is a great mirror image of some other Hebrew people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who also would not bow down to an idol or graven image. And so Mordecai decides, I'm not going to bow down to you, Haman, because I don't worship you. I worship the one true living God. And so it makes Haman so Mad. He talks to his wife, he vents to his friends, what should be done to this Mordecai? And instead of just punishing Mordecai, he decides, I'm actually going to punish all of Mordecai's people, all of these Jewish people. He goes to the king and he manipulates the king, King Xerxes, and he says, there are some people in your kingdom who possess their own laws and possess their own structure and they possess uh, their their own religion and they don't worship you and they don't honor you. They worship this other God. And and I think that we should punish these people so that people in this kingdom know that no one can stand against your power and your authority. And so the king says, that's fine if that's what you think needs to be done. So he takes off his signet ring and he gives it to Haman so that Haman can issue a decree on his behalf that all of these people who the king doesn't know who they are, but all of these Jewish people would be put to death. It's going to take some time to enact all that Haman has in mind for these people. And so they set a date on the calendar months later, perhaps almost a year later. Scripture would call it March the 7th of the following year that all the Jews are going to be killed by all the people in all the towns and provinces of the kingdom. Mordecai gets word that now the Jews are going to be hunted to their death, that the decree says that anyone who kills a Jew can take the plunder of their household for themselves. So the people are getting ramped up. They're ready to go so that they can kill all the Jews and take all the possessions and squash out these people who don't obey Haman. As Mordecai gets word, he decides, okay, now is the time to leverage where God has positioned Queen Esther And even though Queen Esther has not told King Xerxes that she is a Jew, she's kept it to herself, Mordecai sends word to her about Haman's plan. And he says, now is the time for you to go to the king to try to save your people. She sends word back to Mordecai and says, listen, as much as I want to help, you know the law. If I go to the king without an invitation from the king... He has every right to kill me. I, I, I can't do it. I, I, I'm sorry. I want to. I want to help our people, but there's no way that I can do this. And Mordecai, her cousin, her adoptive father, this mentor in her life, he sends word back to her. And I'm sure in loving rebuke says to her, listen, just because you live in the palace, don't think that you will escape the punishment that it comes to our people. And if you choose not to be obedient, not to be faithful, not to use your position for the sake of what God is desiring to do to save us, God will bring salvation from another. But what if you are right where you need to be for what God is desiring to do now? Esther gets that word and she says, okay, then let's fast and pray for the next three days. And even though it's against the law, even if I lose my life, I will go to King Xerxes and plead on behalf of our people. 
At the end of that three days, she goes and she stands outside of the room there where King Xerxes is. And one of the times that the doors open, he sees his queen sitting out in the, the foyer waiting to come in, but she hasn't been invited. And so when he lowers his, his staff, they, she, his scepter, she comes in and, and he brings her in and he says, Queen Esther, what is it that you desire from me? Even if it's up to half of the kingdom, I will give you anything that you want. And she says, listen, I've got a very simple, simple request. Let's have dinner and bring Haman. So they come together for dinner, and at the end of the night, it's almost like King Xerxes is waiting on the other shoe to drop. Like, he's just waiting on, like, what she's about to ask. Like, you want jewelry? You want to go on a vacation? You feel underappreciated? Like, what's happening? You just tell me, and I'll do it. Like, even up to half the kingdom, you name it, and it's done. And she says, no, you know what I want? I want another dinner date tomorrow night, me, you, and Haman. So they leave. That night, King Xerxes is having trouble sleeping, and he begins to read some of the scrolls of the history and the things that are happening, and he runs across a story that he had previously kind of been uh, just, uh, it was unknown to him, about one of the times that Mordecai actually heard about an assassination plot for King Xerxes' life. And so he tries to determine, like, what's happening here? I didn't even know that he helped to protect me. And so he calls Haman in the next morning. He says, what should be done for a man who protected the king? What should be done for a man who has saved me even though I didn't know? Well, Haman is assuming that the king is talking about him. And so he lays it on thick. He's like, well, to that kind of man, he should be able to wear the king's finest robe and ride on one of the horses that the king himself has ridden on. And he should have all the status of the kingdom. And the king says to Haman, you're exactly right. Let's do that for Mordecai. You can imagine the look on Haman's face. You can imagine what he feels. He goes home. He's so frustrated. He again talks to his wife and his servants and his friends. And he comes up with this plot that they're going to build this apparatus, this long pole where they're going to eventually use to kill Mordecai at some point. And about that time, as he's devising the plan, they bring Haman, they come and get Haman to bring him to the dinner date with King Xerxes and Queen Vashti. He is bragging about how he has been invited into the inner chamber, the inner courts with the king and the queen. So he comes in, they begin to eat. And then the king eventually asks Queen Esther again, what is it that you want? Even up to half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. I'll let it be so. Just tell me what it is that you want. And she says to him, I'm a Jew. And there is an attempt to eradicate your kingdom of all of my people. King Xerxes says, no, I don't know how this happened. I, I didn't let this be so. Like, who enacted this decree? You know where this is going. She points across the table at the only other person at dinner and said, it's Haman. The king is furious and leaves the room, and Haman recognizes, like, my life is about to end. He comes to Queen Esther. She's sitting there on the couch. He comes to her to sit down next to her to say, hey, will you please, please spare my life? And when the king comes back in, there sits Haman on the couch with the queen, which was unthinkable. And he says, what is it? You're going to kill her people, but you're also going to take my wife as your own? They remove Haman from the room, sentence him to death. And the king works with Queen Esther, and they bring Mordecai in, and they issue another decree because they can't revoke the original decree. The king's ring has already been used, so they can't stop that. They issue another decree that on March the 7th of the next year that the Jews can fight back. If anyone comes to try to bring harm to them, that they can fight back against their enemies to try to save 
themselves, and that's exactly what happens. As the Jews protect themselves, they go unharmed, but many of their enemies are put to death. Mordecai is raised in stature in the kingdom, and Esther continues to serve as queen. What a powerful story. What an amazing story of scripture. It's one of the reasons that I love the Bible. Because in one book of the Old Testament, several chapters later, we can get all of that story. And when I read through a story like that, isn't it so easy to believe that God ordained Queen Esther for that moment? Isn't it so easy to believe that God cares about the details of her life and God ordained those moments and he used Mordecai, used relationship to actually help her to do something that mattered? But isn't it also true that even as we read those truths, when we think about our own lives, we cannot be convinced that God cares that much about the details of our lives? Isn't it so difficult sometimes to believe that our ordinary Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays don't matter in the grand scheme of things as much as the story of Queen Esther and Mordecai and King Xerxes and Haman? But scripture tells me this, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that as God has written Queen Esther's story, he's also writing your story. And he's writing your story with a great purpose so that you can make a difference in the lives of others. With the time that we have left, I want to look at three specific things from this story that we just talked about. And the first one is this. God's position for you is perfect. God positions you perfectly for his purposes. Now, I know sometimes when we think about the circumstances of our lives, we cannot imagine that. Like, we cannot believe that everything that's happening in our life is God-ordained. And here's what I would say to you. I would agree with that statement. There are some things that are happening in your life because of the consequences of the decisions that you have made. And yet God has this incredible ability in his sovereignty and in his great love for us and in his grace and mercy for us that he can redeem those consequences and redeem those moments for greater purposes. It's why the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis is this incredible reminder that whether you're in the palace like Esther or you're in the prison like Joseph, God uses those moments to help your story interact with people that need you. Joseph was in prison through no fault of his own and yet he was able to tell the meaning of dreams of other prisoners. There are countless stories of people that found themselves in prisons or in other places that, that mimic prisons in their life. They felt bound up. They felt like their circumstances could play no greater purpose in the story of their life and in the story of God. And yet when they give those circumstances to God, God uses them for his great purposes because he's writing your story. Look at what we were talking about there. This is in Esther chapter 4, and this is the story where Mordecai comes to her, and he says this to her. Esther chapter 4, verse 13 and 14 says this. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. You are positioned perfectly for God's purposes. You aren't anywhere by accident. And God can redeem the places that you are that you even desire not to be for his purposes. It's not by accident that you find yourself here at Generations Church right now. Some of you, you've been here for a long time. 
Others of you, it's the very first time you've ever come into these doors. And to all of you, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, we say you're welcome here. This is a place you can belong before you believe. This is a place you can call home in your faith journey as you're trusting God to write the story of your life. But what I believe is that if you are a first-time guest, like, you're not alone. Because over just the last couple of months, there's 174 first-time guests here at Generations Church. There's new people all the time. Some of, our, some of our folks that work in the parking lot and at the doors, they tell me all the time, like, I don't know nobody around here no more. And I'm like, isn't that awesome? This is a great place for you, but it's not by accident. If you've been here for a little while, I think it's time for you to step into using your purpose for the sake of Christ. And I think one of the great ways you could do that is here at the church. There are children in our kids' environments that need you. They need you to serve. You have the right gifts and talent. You have the right passion and compassion to serve them because there's nobody like you that helps model for them what it means to love Jesus. They need you. Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, we need you in our youth ministry, just a model for middle school and high school students and for college students in in another environment to say, hey, what does it look like for us to really possess our faith personally? It's not just my mom and dad's faith. Like, it's my faith. Like, what does that look like? How do I flesh that out into these G groups within our, our, our tribes or, or our squads, I guess, on Wednesday nights? Like, how do we do that in our youth ministry? We, we need you to be standing at the door and greeting 174 first-time guests that walk in and don't know where they're supposed to go, especially in the coming weeks as we have two different floors and levels, and they're trying to figure out where do I go and where do my kids go and where do I park and what do I do? And you can help them find a place here. Some of you, you have the financial means, not just for projects like we're talking about, but to regularly fund the ministries that God is calling us to both inside the walls of this church and outside the walls of this church. It's not by accident that you're here. You were created on purpose for a purpose, and one or some of those purposes can be lived out and fleshed out here because God has positioned you perfectly for such a time as this. The second thing that I see in this story is that there are people praying for you. There are people praying for you. We just read these verses in Esther chapter 4 where Mordecai confronts him. What if, what if it's for such a time as this? And so Esther says, okay, here's what the strategy will be. Let's fast and pray. Have the people pray for me so that I will have the strength to go and do what may end my life. Look at this in verses 15 through 17. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. You say, well, there's nobody praying for me. There is. Because I pray for you every week. If I know you, there are times I have called you by name. But if I don't know you, I am calling you by collective group as a part of the people that are coming to this place. I'm praying for you on a regular basis. Our elder couples, we met together yesterday, and and we talked about the great honor and responsibility and calling on our lives as elders to provide spiritual covering for you that are coming to this place for the needs that you have, for the safety of you and your family. Every single Sunday morning, I get a text. And today, I got that same kind of text from the same guy, and here's what he said to me today. He said, hey, you know that I pray for you and your church each week. This was about 7.30 this morning. But this morning, know that I'm praying specifically for you and for your family, more than even your church today, praying that you will see the power of God fresh and new 
for you. Now, that would be awesome. It would be incredible if I were to tell you that's one of my best friends in the world. I don't really know this guy that well. Like, we've interacted in some settings. We've been in some of the same environments. We've done a few things together, but, like, we're not best friends. We're not really close relationally, and yet God's put it on his heart every Sunday morning to text me words of encouragement for our church or when I'm going to stand to speak or even today for me and for my family. And I believe in the power of prayer, and I want you to know that as you're trying to determine the purpose that God is destined for your life and you're trying to figure out how to take that step into making a difference in the story that God is writing in others, if you feel ill-equipped, if you feel like you're not strong enough, like you don't have what it needs or what you need to make it happen, people are praying for you. I'm praying for you, that God would strengthen you, encourage you, equip you for every good work. A few years ago, my mom was sick. She had cancer, passed away in 2011. And as a part of the journey that we were walking with her, our family was, we were praying on a regular basis, obviously, as you would expect. She has an older brother. His name is, is Paul. And he is a pastor in North Carolina. He, he, we've, we've got nicknames for everybody in our family. So we don't call him Paul. We call him Rusty, obviously, right? <laughs> and so one night, Rusty was at his house in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And he was praying for his sister, my mom. And as he prayed for my mom, all of a sudden, his phone rang. This, this story is like verified. I promise you, it happened. I know sometimes stories like this, you're like, man, I, I just don't know. Like, I don't believe I, pr I give you my word. His phone rang. He looked at the screen of his phone. It was a number he didn't recognize. And beyond that, it looked like it wasn't even like a real phone number. Like it was just a bunch of digits that didn't have like really good American phone number rhythm. You know, like that, 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 that. Like it didn't have that. It was just a bunch of numbers on the screen. But he answered the phone during his time of prayer. And the voice on the other end with a pretty heavy accent said, is this Paul Lanier? He said, it is. He said, my name, and he mentioned his name. He said, I'm calling you right now from Israel. Well, Rusty has relationships in Israel. He, he knows a lot of people there. They've raised money. Their church has. He's gone on trips to Israel. He's connected to the efforts of Jews there in Jerusalem. But he didn't know this man's name. And this man said, I, I don't know you. I've never met you. I, I don't know that I know anybody who knows you. But he said, tonight there were a group of us rabbis here in Jerusalem, and we were praying together. And he said, I felt very specifically the Lord impress upon me to pick up my phone and dial the numbers as he gave them to me and to call you by name and to ask you this question. What are we praying for tonight? Rusty was overcome with emotion. He said, well, I'm praying right now in this very moment in my house for my sister, Kathy. And the gentleman on the other line says, okay, thank you. I'll go back and report to the rabbis and just know that we are praying with you tonight for Kathy. Rusty hang up the phone. He picked up the phone again to call my family and to remind us of this truth. Your needs are not for you to carry alone. That someone is praying for you because God knows what you need even before you ask it. And he says to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Anytime I'm standing down front with our elder couples as we come for times of prayer and anyone is standing in for prayer for someone that's not here today, usually I say this line. God, as we pray for this person who's not here today, 
wherever they find themselves, if they're in a hospital room, if they're in a car, if they're in their house, if they're walking down the sidewalk of their neighborhood, God, would you fill that environment with your presence and let them know this truth, that right now there's a group of people in this church praying for them. I pray you have that experience at some point if you've never had it, that you just know someone's lifting you up in prayer. Because I believe as we take steps to make a difference with our lives, exercising our purpose for his glory, people are praying for you. Because if no one else is, I'm praying for you. Here's the third thing that I see in this story. It's actually a question. What if you were the difference in victory and defeat for someone else? Esther chapter 9 starts like this. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies, and the Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the king's provinces to attack anyone who tried to harm them. But no one could make a stand against them, for everyone was afraid of them. If you didn't know this when you came in today, let me just give you a sobering truth. The enemy doesn't want you to succeed. He, he wants to destroy your life. He wants to disrupt your marriage and your home. He, he wants your life to be a mess. He wants you to feel like you're failing everywhere. And some of you know what I'm talking about because that's exactly how you feel today. But there's also another reality that's even greater than that. God has a plan for your life. It's a plan not for your harm, but for your good. It's a plan not for your defeat, but for your victory. It's a plan for you to live victoriously on purpose for God, not just for you, but for the sake of others. What if? What if the neighbor that we talked about last week who takes their trash out on Tuesday nights just like you do is right on the cusp. They're just like victory, defeat. It could go either way. And God's just waiting on you to say yes. He's just waiting on you to get comfortable that you are the kind of person he desires to use. So that this Tuesday night as you take your trash out, God has ordained a moment for such a time as this, for them and for you. Coach on the ball field, what if God desires to use you, not just for the kids on your team, but for the families on that team? Teacher, what if God has ordained these moments for such a time as this for the kids in your classrooms and their moms and dads at home? Husbands, what if the success of your wife is based on how you love her like Christ loved the church? Wives, what if it's the demonstration of your love for God that allows you to support and love and respect your husband in ways that demonstrate to him that he is exactly who God has called him to be? What if you could actually make a difference in the lives of other people because you are perfectly positioned by God for the sake of someone else? You say, like, this is not the story I would have written. 
Well, awesome, because you're not writing your story. God is writing your story. And if we want to live like it matters, we have to see the story as bigger than us. You are not at the center stage of all the earth. Jesus Christ is. And you and I have been invited by God to play our part just on the fringes of the story, just on the edge of the stage, to say, God, if you would allow me to play one small part, I'll do it with all my gusto. I'll do it with all the passion that I can give of myself so that someone would see you. You can make a difference. There are children in this church and in this community that need you. There are other couples who are walking through a tough time and they need your story. You can do it here, you can do it elsewhere, but don't allow the enemy to talk you out of it. Today, make the decision that my life will matter for more than me. I'm called to make a difference. I am not called to live just Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday every week as if that's all there is. There is something grander happening here. And God is looking at you today. He's looking at me. And the stories that he has written and the stories that will be written come down to a moment just like this where somebody said yes to God. So if you'll allow me before we go to prayer, can I play the role of Mordecai in your life just for a moment? And can I tell you this sobering reality, this sobering truth? If you choose to say no, if you allow fear or insecurity or the lies of the enemy to cause you to say no, victory will still come because God will bring it about some other way. But what if, what if you were created, destined, purposed, ordained, and placed right where you are for such a time as this? What if? What if? going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. If you would say today, Jeremy, for me, I know that my first step, my next step is to ask God to forgive my sins and to lead my life. I need to enter into a relationship with him, whether I've prayed this prayer before or today is the first time. I know I'm not living in relationship with him and I want to change my eternity forever. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, I want to make a difference. I'm scared. I'm unsure what it looks like. I don't know that I'm the right person, but I, I want my story to matter for more than me and I want to make a difference. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Now open your eyes and look at me before we pray. If you just lifted your hand, here's what's going to happen in the next few minutes and the next few hours. The enemy's going to try to talk you out of that. He's going to convince you you're not good enough. Guess what? You're right, right? I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. In Acts, it says that God loves to use ordinary people, so he gets all the glory for it. The enemy's going to try to say, but you're afraid. You don't, you don't talk in front of people. You don't. You don't serve people. You don't, you don't have the time. You don't have the resources. You don't. But can I just tell you that's the lie of the enemy? There's no truth in him. And the commitments that you're making today 
take the next step, whatever that is. Jump into Discovery Track, go see the Information Center, go to your boss on your job, go talk to your spouse. Make the commitment, take the next step, do the next thing so that your life can matter beyond you. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for all that you've done. We thank you for those who lifted their hands to acknowledge their need for you. So God, we pray today that you would do what you've promised us, that you would save us, you would forgive sins as only you can do. So God, thank you for that. Thank you for lives that are being changed, stories that are being changed, families that are being changed, generations that will never be the same because someone made a stand today to say, I want my life to be about Jesus Christ. And so God, thank you for that. God, now I pray for everyone who lifted their hands to say, I want to make a difference. I want my life to matter for something bigger than me. God, I pray that you would help us to know what that is and where we don't, that we would lean into places, processes, environments, relationships where we gain clarity. But God, we would not believe the lies of the enemy and we would take a stand today. We would do the next thing to follow after you. God, we thank you that you choose people just like us for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.